The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Central City Citizen, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. Poppy Chula Radio, celebrating a decade of podcasting excellence. Today is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021, and I'm your host, Professor X. During the podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's The Flash. Please welcome my co-hosts, Dimitri Wijasinger. What's good, Central City? And Jeffrey Roots. Hey, Central City, and uh, the nearby cities as well, because we were everywhere in this episode. Indeed. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 7, Episode 17, the penultimate episode of the season, which was titled Heart of the Matter, Part 1, and aired July 13th, 2021. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Barry and Iris greet their future children, Excess and Bart, only for a shocking secret to threaten their new familial harmony. Meanwhile, the Godspeed War intensifies and threatens to destroy Central City. Yeah, nothing overtly, you know, uh, nothing overtly wrong in that synopsis. Uh, so uh, the episode actually opens in Central City in 2049, with Godspeed being brought down by excess. However, he quickly recovers and prepares to attack her when Impulse races in and phases through him, bringing Godspeed down. Excess chastises him for what she sees as reckless behavior, and while they disagree, Godspeed phases through the street and heads to the Flash Museum. There, he uses the cosmic treadmill to escape. Excess and Impulse follow him, even though they know their parents will disagree. Jeff, what did you think of the opening scene, opening in the future like that, showing the two uh, you know, uh, younger speedsters uh, at work, uh, and how did you like that as an introduction to Bart and the Nora. And also, shout out to Central uh, City Picture Media, or whatever the hell it was called. Uh, Iris has moved on up in the year 2049, which is uh, very nice. Very nice. Props to, to them. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a really great way to uh, reintroduce Nora, because this is Nora 2.0, and to give us a, a full introduction to Bart, because we got a tease of it at the end of the last episode. This time we got to see both of them in action as superheroes in Central City 2049, and it was kind of neat. Uh, I liked getting their dynamics, uh, I, I like seeing their dynamic in action, and I also like getting the little bit of information that we got about him. We got in that scene uh, the bit of information that he is younger then Nora, we found out that he's 19 later on in the episode. In uh, that opening scene, we found out that he's a freshman at college, at university. So I liked getting all those tidbits of information. And uh, yeah, so I, I thought it was a, a really fun way to uh, introduce us to both characters. Yeah, and there's that old saying in television, show me, don't tell me. And this, by just having that scene, it established A, 
their powers, uh, be their powers, you know, they're a little more creative in their use, maybe than Barry has been, and the nature of their dynamic, which is obviously loving siblings, but a little bit of sibling rivalry uh, going on there as well. So that clearly establishes right from the beginning, you know, who these characters are. And as you said, you know, uh, reminding us that this is not the Nora that we knew before, a point which they'll, you know, uh, make overt uh, a little later in the episode. Uh, in the present at Star Labs, uh, Barry gets Bart and Nora up to speed about how August has no memory and there are hundreds of clones attacking. Uh, the kids also get to meet past versions of the various people in their lives. Dimitri, it's one of the timey-wimey charms of the show that people can meet older versions of people they knew well in the future or younger versions, I should say, of people they knew well in the future. And we get a fair bit of that with Cecile, with Chester and with Iris. Though it seemed to me the kids didn't seem particularly stoked to see Caitlin. Uh, how would you like how they <laughs> use that little trope in the episode? Yeah, I thought it was cute. Um, I was surprised by the Caitlyn thing. I wonder if they're going to expand on that. Um, that was hilarious. I'm sure some was, of the internet was very excited by that. I'm sure the internet was, and I was wondering, is it like a, um, a, like a nod towards the sort of shipping wars that have happened with the Flash? Or are they going to be like, oh, in the future, you know, Caitlin moves back in with Killer Frost, and we have to listen to that cringe dialogue all over again. Um, so that was funny. Um, I thought like the them meeting everybody was cute. They both have a a genuine youthful energy um, about them. You know, like we we sort of feel their joy as they're like, "Mom, Dad, Cecile." Um, so uh, I I thought it was a it was a cute moment. I, I think um, Jessica Parker Kennedy um, ha- has done a good job of of making this Nora feel fresh, but still you know similar to the old Nora. Um, in that you know uh, we don't feel like the old Nora died per se. Um, and then uh, Jordan, I'm blanking on his last name. Fisher. Fisher. Um, brings a, a fantastic energy as well, um, and so I, I think the two of them really have a have a good duo going, and and they're both different enough that you know the whole child from the future coming back to the past storyline doesn't feel as played as it might, given that we had a whole season of Nora. Uh, Barry spent some time with the kids, uh, partly to remind haters like Dimitri that this is a different Nora from the one we met previously. Uh, <laughs> but the team gets an alert and they head out to face the battling Godspeeds. Uh, once they take off to try to lure the Godspeeds away, all of the Godspeeds end up chasing Impulse, saying, kill the adversary. Uh, they're almost successful, but they have to leave to recharge. Back at Star, Bart reveals that Godspeed is his Thawne. And when Barry tries to villain shame him, saying that basically you don't know what a Thawne is... Bart angrily insists that Godspeed is just as much a villain as Thawne was to Barry. Jeff, what did you think about the scene with Barry and the kids uh, and the reveal that in the new timeline, Godspeed isn't Excess's arch enemy, he's Bart's? That was a good little twist because, uh, you know, the future has changed. So it would make sense that there would be a change. So I did like that that was referenced. And uh, I thought that was probably like the perfect change i mean it's kind of the most obvious thing you know if, if it's not going to be Nora, then it's going to be the other one so uh even though it, it was um it could be expected it still uh felt refreshing i also liked seeing the um 
sort of like the the passion slash anger slash um, almost ownership that uh, Jordan Fisher was trying to convey uh, when uh, he was like, you know, it's my nemesis and I have to be the one. I thought all of that was really convincing. So he played that well. Uh, the dynamic between all of them was interesting because I was wondering if we were going to get Barry and later on Iris uh, sort of like going back to like the same vibe that we got way back when Nora first showed up, when Nora 1.0 showed up from the past. And uh, fortunately, for the most part, I didn't feel any of that um, at all, uh, like, we got a lot of, you know, I don't want to know about the future, and maybe I do want to know about the future, and that sort of thing, like, that went back and forth, but it wasn't really, like, uh, how they handled Nora when she first came around, uh, I thought, um, the protection and, and, uh, sort of, like, the helicopter parenting that we got from Barry, um, at all, uh, was, uh, it felt warranted in, uh, what was going on because of, um, how high the stakes were, uh, because of the Godspeed, uh, civil war in air quotes. Uh, Barry goes into the time vault to try to find some additional help against the Godspeed army, but Wally's unavailable. Luckily, Iris shows up, Dion having stabilized her. She's already knowing everything about the kids, having seen it all from the still force, so it's a bit hand-wavy, but we can't have the 150th episode without Candace Patton. Barry and Iris realize that if Godspeed is Bart's thawn, the situation is far more serious than they realize, and they try to stop Bart from getting involved. Dimitri, how'd you feel about the reintroduction of Iris and the relationship we later see between her and the kids uh it it felt a little sudden the way they reintroduced her i wish they would have laid the foundation for her to come back in the previous episode it very much felt like exactly what you said oh well i guess we can't have candace Patton not be in the 150th episode so uh hand wavy you know she's here now um, so that was a little disappointing, but I was glad to have her in the episode. Um, and it was great to see, they make it very clear that, you know, the, the Iris Nora feud of the past is, is not present in the future. The kids both seem to get along really well with their mom. Can we also quickly talk about the yeah, fact that, that Wally... Yeah, I really liked. Oh, I just wanted to say that... We're... Can we talk about the little line that Wally apparently is fighting, like, a psychic villain in, like, the astral plane or something? I was like, what? I was like, okay. I mean, that's the excuse for Wally not being there, but it was such a weird excuse. Yeah, you gotta have some reason not to come in. True. Um... And at least they're addressing that, you know, because we have talked about that over on other shows where it's like, well, you've got this big world threatening problem. Why don't you call in some of your friends from the other cities? So at least they did give it a little throwaway line of end. Here's why Wally can't be here. True. You know, uh, aside from the fact that the actor playing Wally has no interest in coming back uh, off in Keystone City. Uh, Jay Garrick has a speed back and wants to race off to help Barry. But before he can, a group of Godspeeds takes him down. Not a lot to talk about in the scene. It was really just setting up Jay for later in the episode. But Jeff, how'd you like the reintroduction of Jay Garrick? And again, 150th episode, you kind of want uh, to play some of the hits. Correct. That was uh, exciting. It was great to see him back. To be quite honest, like I thought he was dead or something. Like I was uh, for a moment, I was very confused because I was like, I know that the last time we saw him was like at 
with Crisis, and I do remember him running on the treadmill. He was like trapped on the treadmill or something, and then like took his took his space, took his place or something. And I I remember that he didn't have speed or something. I don't know why I thought he had died, but clearly he didn't. He was just speedless. But then because Wait, of... I thought he died too. Okay, good, because I was like I thought he died too. Okay, but anyway, so it wasn't me, just me thinking that he had died, but uh. Turns out he was just speedless, but then because they, you know, gave birth to the new speed force, his speed came back, which, okay, you know, he's older, so it took him a while to power up, because that was a storyline many episodes ago, Jay. Um, but okay, that's fine. Um, it was great to see him again. It was great to see him. It was great to see his wife, who is another Nora. So Michelle Harrison got to come back and not be the creepy, um, stalkery, uh, you know, uh, helicopter mom-ish speed force. Uh, and they gave her, um, fantastic wig. I like the, you know, the hair was everything. Yeah, they they did a good job of, of changing her appearance sufficiently that I was looking at it, I think, did they recast this or if they just, you know, really changed her appearance? Uh, but again, yeah, you, you do want to have, you know, uh, playing some of the hits, uh, you know, for an episode like this, even if, you know, he really was just introduced there to set him up for uh, later, as we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, Barry and Iris tell Bart they're... Uh, Benching him because of the threat Godsby poses and how impulsively he acted. Nora backs them, sibling rivalry, and Bart angrily races off, upset. Nora goes to speak with him. She finds him at the West House. Uh, and we find out that in their time, Godspeed killed, Godspeed killed their Uncle Jay, Jay Garrick, right in front of Bart. And also we find out that Jay was the one person who really understood Bart's impulsiveness. Unlike everyone else, he didn't see it as a drawback. He really seemed to understand uh, Bart. So Bart had a, a much better connection with his Uncle Jay uh, than he did with other people. Uh, Bart wants to tell their parents, but Nora says no, because the first rule of the Allen family, as they've established a couple of times in the episode, is protecting the timeline. So, and getting back to our, you know, what we are talking about last week in terms of flashpoint uh, dangers. So anytime you travel from the future to the past, you can't reveal anything about what is going to happen lest you contaminate the timeline. So uh, uh, they are trying to be uh, good little time travelers and follow the, uh, the family rules. Dimitri, I never thought to ask you about your sibling situation, uh, but how did you like how Jessica Parker Kennedy and Jordan Fisher interacted as siblings? We got a, a lot of it. As I said, I like how they started out in the beginning. Then we get this scene uh, here, but even throughout, we get a lot of them uh, interacting, uh, you know, uh, as siblings and with their parents. How did you like how these two actors played off each other? Before I answer that, can we take a moment to reflect on the fact that the guy who made Flashpoint cannot relate to his impulsive son as well as the guy who stopped him making Flashpoint again? Just while we're on the topic of impulsive, I learned it from you, Dad. I learned it from you. Exactly, yeah. That, I mean, that felt a little, you know, contrived. Um, but, uh... The Flash contrived? Huh? I said the Flash contrived? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is this, the saga with the forces? Um, but, uh, in any case, I, I think, um, those two have a great chemistry. It's very believable. It's a little young, I feel, especially since they go out of their way to remind us of these characters' ages, um, I feel like they argue like they're 14 and 9 or something, but 
we're reminded that they're 26 and 19. Um, so that felt a little odd. Um, but I, I, I think um, between the two of them, they bring a really genuine energy. Um, and uh, they're still doing the whole, you know, Barry and Iris really age up when the kids come into the picture, which, you know, I, I mentioned my, my distaste for. But I think um, the two kids um, in their energy really bring um, sort of the energy of the earlier seasons where, you know, they're, you know, they're happy, they're derpy, they're not Oliver Queening. Um, I thought uh, the the interaction between Barry and uh, Bart was kind of weird, like the whole, oh, he's he's my thorn. And Barry's like, how dare you compare your problems that I'm completely unaware of to my problem that I go Oliver Queen about all the time. Um, so that was kind of cringe, but between the two of them, I thought they did a really good job. They are really believable as a unit. Like you're selling me on the fact that you two grew up together. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like the, uh, the chemistry between the two of them. Uh, I agree also that I think they are sort of playing a little younger than they would if you're really 26 and 19. Although some siblings do have a tendency that, you know, they sort of drop into old habits, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, when they're around each other. So that could be an explanation of it. Uh, but I also agree that, you know, it, it is giving you know a, this great jolt of energy uh, to the show. Uh, you know, having these two younger people who are, you know, uh, excited and enthusiastic and energetic. On an unrelated note, there's a brief subplot involving Allegra. As expected, she's dealing with the loss of her cousin, which makes her a liability as her negative emotions are affecting her powers. I guess we had to have some payoff because they did just kill off the character. Uh, And Chester does find out about Esperanza's death. Now, Jeff, even though there was no Spanish in the subplot, it's over to you. All of Allegra's scenes were with Chester, and there's been a lot of shipping talk. Uh, What did you think about their scenes together and how Chester dealt with Allegra and... uh, uh, getting her to open up about what happened. She was on her own little island. Um, two other characters were on their own little island as well. Uh, but this one, she was like by herself, and then Chester noticed. And it took Chester a moment to notice. Uh, you know, sticking his finger into like a cup of coffee was a little strange way to do it. But okay, it was a choice. Um Clearly, this was, you know, to continue the continuity of of what happened in the previous episode. She had a major death. She hadn't told anybody about Esperanza's death. Uh, She told it to Chester. Um, It's it's very sad that the only way to get her to call him Chester is for, you know, her cousin to die. But he noticed, you called me Chester, you didn't call me Chuck. And, and that sort of thing. Um, it was nice that he was there for her. I'm glad that she finally opened up. It also took a moment for her to open up. You know, she was trying to charge up some invention, but her uh, microwaves weren't available because it's the ultraviolet wa- waves. But then Chester put two and two together. Oh, you only have the ultraviolet waves when you're uh, in a negative space. And so what's going on? Um... You know, I, I'm going to guess that by the end of the season, uh, I don't know if she'll be happy, but she'll be able to, you know, do the microwaves again. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it was it was strange because 
she was sort of like off by herself. Like they didn't bring anybody else into it. Like everybody else was doing a lot of stuff. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I guess they they needed to deal with this in a way that was kind of believable without bringing anybody else into it. And Chester was uh, the person that uh, that they had paired up with her. And, and they work well together. I do like them together. Um, I, I, you know, if they go into the relationship direction, I am not against it. I think they're cute together. They're young and cute and it works. Uh, I just don't like it when she calls him Chuck. Um, yeah, I agree. They, they did have, but the only reason they had to deal with it was because they insisted on inserting the whole subplot for the last couple of episodes. Oh, totally. Uh, and so now, you yes. know, even again in the 150th episode, when things are packed and we are rushing towards the season finale, we still have to deal with the fallout when, uh, again, they just overpacked things, uh, you know, in, in the previous episode. There was no need to deal with, you know, Allegra and her cousin, uh, you know, um, aside from the obvious F9 tie-in, uh, you know, uh, at this particular time. You know, that, that could clearly have been left on the back burner until next season. Um, but yeah, for some reason they just decided to do that. And then, you know, they're having to take time away from that. And now we've got a, a, a moody, depressed Allegra. And obviously that's going to have some payoff of her, you know, storming off because the team didn't realize, you know, how she was feeling or something like that at the end of the season or, or who knows, but yeah, I just feel that that whole thing was, uh, was badly handled, but yeah, no, you know, no, my, I, yeah. I don't disagree with you. And interestingly enough, um, a website, TV Line, that I do love. They have this thing every Thursday or Friday where, uh, you know, they ask sort of uh, kind of shady questions about TV shows. And one of the questions that they asked reminded me of you, Professor, because you would think that you would have written it. And here it is. And their, their question was, is The Flash trying to tell too many separate stories that require far more cast members and guest stars than they can accommodate in any given 42 minutes. And that's basically what you said last week and what you said right now. And I I totally agree with you. This storyline wasn't needed, but you know, we needed it because of everything that's happened. What was it? The past two, three episodes where we've gotten some sort of storyline for Allegra. Uh, Barry and XS head off to try Chester's C device on the Godspeed, but because Barry charged it, it's full of speed force energy, which makes the clone stronger than ever. Whoops. Fortunately, Frost makes the save, but it does make Barry feel like he failed to protect his daughter, so he and Iris double down on not letting the kids go out to play. Just then, the Godspeed send a message to the lab saying they will kill Jay Garrick if they don't hand over the adversary, Bart. Okay, let's stop there before the church scene. Dimitri, uh, any thoughts on the fight scene? Uh, you know, the the reveal about uh, the device? Uh, or, you know, we've, we've already talked a little bit about it, but we got a little more here about, you know, you've mentioned the idea of uh, how uh, Iris and Barry react as parents, you know, uh, you know when their, their kids are thrown in. So... Earlier, we had the situation with Bart where they said that, well, you can't do this because, you know, it would be dangerous. Now they're doing the same thing with uh, uh, with Nora. Do you think that is, you know, understandable given, you know, they've already lost one Nora? No, it's stupid. Um, they like it takes them ages to circle around like the very obvious solution of like, let both your kids help because you are sort of outmatched. Um it it made really no sense and it, it felt like a little bit of episode padding where it was just like uh he's mad at you uh you can't go outside 
um, now, now maybe he's mad at you. You can't go outside. Like it just, it makes no sense. Um, these are, you know, these are supposedly people who are, are superheroes. Like they, they fight villains all the time. Villains probably fight back all the time. Like it, it just, it doesn't make sense. Um, and I, I think, you know, we're all eager for like a, you know, flash family, you know, speedster fight. Um, and they're clearly like just saving that for part two. Um, but yeah, it was a little contrived. I think also with the whole, oh, it was full of flash energy. So it, you know, it didn't work properly. I I feel like we give a wide berth on the pseudoscience in this show, but that was so stupid. Um, like, I I think there's a stupid threshold where it doesn't become, like, believable anymore. And the Speed Force becoming a person was a part of that. I think the whole, you know, like, energy is energy. Like, the whole... Um, uh, you know, it had speed force energy, so he was able to absorb it. Like, uh, I, I liked, you know, sort of the early seasons where it felt like this was somewhat tied to some sort of normal physics, uh, but they, this completely kind of threw that out the window. Um, and also, it felt very weird that Barry could easily charge the device in two seconds, but they went to Allegro first. Yeah, good point. I mean, if, uh, you know, if they were talking about, you know, electromagnetic, you know, you'd think they would have addressed that earlier. Uh, um, you know, uh, but again, you know, you, you've got to do that because that allows them to bring in Allegra and that allows them to drag the whole story to a halt while she, you know, sullenly mopes around and Chester has to deal with that. And yes. uh, again, just consequences of, uh, of the decisions. Can I disagree um, anyway. with, because um, uh, Dimitri was basically saying that it felt a bit contrived of, of like Barry and Iris's reaction to Nora. I thought it made perfect sense just because they had lost Nora and in the moment it, you know, they don't want their kids to die in the past. You know, they're coming from the future. They're in the past. They're basically stuck there because those uh, God speeds are, uh, you know, blocking the, um, I was about to call it the sacred timeline, but um, the with the speed force the tunnel, whatever the hell that thing is, uh, they're blocking it so they can't run to the future. So I think Jeff low key threw in a reference there. I did low key. I low key did or high key. Um, but yeah, so so I thought their reaction, although it was clearly, as Dimitri said, you know, done, and the, as the professor just stated, to sort of like stretch the storyline because this is part one of a two-parter season finale event, as they're calling it in the promos. Um, you know, it, it made sense to me. Like it, it might have been as a means to stretch things, but it it was it made sense and it was it wasn't just like what they did originally with Nora 1.0 uh based off of the stakes i think they as parents kind of made the appropriate decision and i was cool with it i like i didn't cringe when they were parenting their you know 50 year old kids that are visiting from the future you know in dimitri's defense he would have regarded uh losing the original nora as an unalloyed win so there's no reason for them to feel, you know, regretful about that. 
I know, right? But um, this one's actually nice. Although she's doing the baby actually, doll voice, which I don't really appreciate. I, like, I've heard Jessica Parker Kennedy talk in interviews. She has like a normal woman's voice, like the whole softening it to make her sound younger than she is. She's like in her mid-30s, but she passes for, you know, 20s. She doesn't have to soften the voice. That was just my whole gripe with her characterization of Nora. Oh, I did like her line. Uh, I'm, I'm almost 30 in four years. Yeah, I I was wondering if that was like a slight nod to the fact that people have commented like, wait, she's 30, I think she's 36. Um, How is she like possibly 36? So I wonder if that was a slight like sort of tongue in cheek, like, yes, Jessica Parker Kennedy is over 30, but she is very believable as, I mean, you honestly, you could have said like she's 16 and I think the whole Nora season would have read a lot better. And even some of these uh, moments between her and Bart would have read a little better. <laughs> True. Um, no. Yeah. You know, she's just I don't know, very, very baby faced. It's also a little bit creepy because if you know exactly how old she is, uh, Barry and Iris would be able to figure out exactly when they're going to conceive, uh, which is, you know, seems a little bit pressure filled, but anyway, well, yeah, um, they have to concede doing the math here, trying year. to figure out, you know, how is that? Because that's why I was thinking when she said, "I'm almost 30, Why, you know, Barry and Iris had that reaction of, "Oh my God, what, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to, you know, be doing it last night? What the hell? I mean, it's not like they're wasting any time. I know, true, and true. It, and um, I feel like we all know the answer based off of this episode. I mean. Uh, because Bart watched Jay Garrick die once, he's not willing to wait for a plan, and so he impulsively, if you will, runs straight into a trap, and he's surrounded by Godspeeds. Barry and Nora show up, and Barry takes down the lead Godspeed by using Bart's phasing trick from the beginning, which means they already didn't follow the family's first rule. Uh, doubtless, tragedy will ensue, and tragedy seems about to ensue as Barry, Nora, and Jay and a comatose Bart are surrounded by Godspeed clones. I honestly, I, I was sitting there thinking, okay, they're in a situation, they can't get out of this on their own. Someone's got to come in and save the day. I had completely forgotten who it was going to be. Cisco Ramon kicks in the door to the church and neutralizes all the Godspeeds, allowing the family to escape. Jeff, how'd you like the fight and the return of a sort of mech of Ivy, Carlos Valdez? All right. The Care Bear stare that the Godspeeds do, I'm kind of tired of it because I really don't know what it's doing. I, I mean, I'm guessing it's always sucking the speed out, but I feel like wouldn't he be, like, already sucked out of all his speed the many times that they Care Bear stare him? Like, I feel like he's been Care Bear stared so many times over the past three episodes, this episode included in those three. Um, yeah, so much Care Bear stareage from the Godspeeds. Um, one little CGI complaint, uh, and this is coming from someone who's watched them do, like, a completely CGI'd Barry uh, Allen and a completely CGI'd Supergirl fighting and, and, you know, a scene together and that sort of thing, which that looked kind of wonky. Uh, and and, and any time they make a completely CGI'd The Flash, it looks a little wonky. But when poor Jordan Fisher was hanging probably from wires up in the air, that sort of... Um, uh, what would you call it, uh, expansive shot where we see it from like behind excess uh, uh, and the flash, that wide shot, it just looked really bad. It looked really, really, it was like sci-fi channel bad. And if you know anything about the sci-fi channel, you know their CGI is atrocious. So that was the only thing that just, it made me cringe because it was so bad. It's horrible CGI. 
horrible, horrible. Yeah, I agree. The the Care Bear stare, it really doesn't work, and they do rely on it so much. Um, part of it is is because it looks like a projection, like a Care Bear stare, which, mm-hmm, of course, yeah. all fans of Care Bears know how that works, so we that don't need to go into it way. here. Uh, but, like, honestly, if they had something where they were, like, drawing the lightning out of Barry, that would be a more obvious they're sucking the speed force out of him. I think visually that would be a better representation than this sort of unibeam deal that they're doing. Yeah, because it just um, looks like a vibratic pulse that's hitting him. I would assume that is painful, but it, it doesn't really convey that we're, like, sucking the life out of you. So, um, yeah, that's my, that's my concern with that. As far as vibe, uh, t- listen, I'll say this. It was a badass, kick-ass way to make your return to uh, The Flash. Um, I will say something that I said when he left. I feel like to really get the, like, oh, my God, we missed you so much feels, they did this way too soon. Like, what has he been gone? Like, maybe three episodes? And, like, he's back. He did get the excellent, you know, I'm back, baby, moment. But the the emotional resonance wasn't there because, like, we just saw him. So, I mean, not to... I don't mean this in like a really bad way, but like I haven't had the chance to really miss Cisco Ramon. So uh, like the emotion of the scene that maybe they were trying to convey wasn't there for me, but it was still a badass way to make an entrance. I, I will say though, I like how they handled it because his very first line is I leave for two seconds and like you guys are in trouble. And so like, I feel like that was a really nice sort of way to be like, all right, yeah, he just left. We brought him back. It's the 150th episode. Deal with it. Um, You know, in in a, you know, way that sort of acknowledges the elephant in the room. And it, it felt true to Cisco's character. You know, it, it is, you know, they, they sort of explained away that, uh, you know, John said they needed help. And of course, Cisco would be there for his friends. You know, he couldn't call them to tell them he was coming because, of course, there's no communication. Isn't that convenient? Uh, so, yeah, I like you. I, uh, I really liked it. And, uh, you know, I, I had honestly forgotten that Carlos Valdez was coming back for this one. So it uh, it uh, it was a pleasant surprise. I was sure that someone was going to come in and save them. I just uh, uh, was uh, was happy to see it was him and not Frost. Uh, the team got away, but not without paying a price. Bart's barely being kept alive by his speed feeling. Speed feeling. That's what Barry does. His speed <laughs> healing. And the team has no idea what to do. Cecile and Caitlin were working with August Hart earlier in the episode, trying to get his memory back, but to no avail. So Barry decides to techno hand wave his way into August's mind to see what's up in there, which he does, only to find August Hart is there waiting for him and menacingly promises that he has all the answers. Next week is the season finale. Bart's in a coma. Barry's trapped in the villain's brain. And there are still all of those damn clones. Dimitri, how are we getting out of this one? Is it going to wrap up next week? Or as we speculated, could this continue on into the next season? Will Barry talk no jitsu of this one? Or is he going to have to haul off and kick some ass or kick some brain, as the case might be? I have a bad feeling he's going to talk no jitsu just because they're showing... August Hart with his memory lost as a sympathetic character and August Hart um like in the like in his mind as a sinister character and I wonder if Barry's going to appeal to the you know you're a good person when you forget you're a horrible person um which would be so disappointing but I have a bad feeling that's the way it's going to go um 
part of me wonders if it's like you know um if if you guys have ever seen death note there's a scene where a character sort of purposely gives themselves amnesia um and turns into a very sympathetic character but then it's revealed that that was all part of the character's plan and the moment they get their memories back they're like wahaha um and i was think it, it was such a good you know twist um but then i was thinking the the writing of this show thus far is nowhere near that caliber. I doubt we're going to get a twist like that. So um, I'm guessing it's probably going to be like we we get a reveal that, you know, something bad happened to August Hart. He became, you know, obsessed with becoming the god of speed or whatever. Um, and then, like, they go back to the present day and Barry's like, look, you're a good person. Before you put on the salad bowl hat, you were a nice guy. And he's like, you know what? I was a nice guy. And, you know, it would be disappointing, but I have a bad feeling that that's what's happening. Yeah, I I think I, I had the same feeling. Not so much from, you know, Death Note, because, you know, I, I don't read Death Note. I send Death Notes. Oh. Uh, but uh, I, I did have the feeling that all of this might have been a plot. You know, August Hart, you know, found a way to, you know, uh, fake or, or set up his own, you know, uh, you know uh, amnesia as a way of luring Barry in there. Uh, and unfortunately, it does seem like it has to be a talk no jitsu, but I, I don't know. Um, I think I would find that just a little unsatisfying after all the uh, the talky talks that we've had so far. Uh, I would like something a little more spectacular for uh, the 150th or the 151st, if one must be technical. Uh, there was a B-plot. Uh, Joe and Kramer are debriefed in Midway City after their takedown of Adam last episode. Kramer pointedly doesn't mention anything about Adam saying he saw her die, and neither does Joe, though he does challenge her as they're driving back to Central City. Uh, before she can answer him, they're distracted by a pair of battling godspeeds, and as they notice, everyone else is trying to flee the city. Jeff, last week we thought there was more to the Kramer story, particularly the I saw her die line. So it seems there's going to be more payoff to come again with the season wrapping next week. Are we going to get closure or is this something that is going to linger on? Do you think? Well, I don't want it to linger on because I'm done with the storyline, but they keep on dragging it out. Uh, It's like they try to make us sympathetic towards Kramer but then they do something, at least for me, that pisses me off, and I'm like anti-Kramer. So it's like, you know, she's getting this closure with this thing, but then we're reminded because we have that, you know, flashback of, you know, I saw her die, this or the other. And so then Joe's like, do you have anything else to say? And she's like, no. And then in the car, you need to drop it, Joe. And so I'm like, she's doing all this shit to, like, piss me off, because, like, you don't talk like that to Papa Joe. And I, I do love, as I've said before, that they are giving Jesse L. Martin a storyline that does have a little bit of meat on it. You know, there's meat on this bone. I just don't know what kind of meat. And like, is it spam? Is it like a filet mignon? Like, I'm very confused because I don't know where this storyline is going other than the fact that Kramer could be a meta. But it's like, how do we solve this in an episode? Is Papa Joe going to be you know, police chief again by the end of the next episode? Probably not. Um, I kind of actually like the idea of Papa Joe being like a private eye that works with Team Flash, kind of like filling in the role of um, uh, Elongated Man. That could kind of work. 
But I just want this storyline to be over with because I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling towards Kramer. Like, am I supposed to empathize with her? Am I supposed to be feeling sympathetic towards her? Am I supposed to be confused? Am I supposed to not like her because she keeps on telling Papa Joe to drop it? Like, does she want him? Is that why she's, is, you know, is it a subtle hint of, like, drop it meaning something else? Like, maybe she's trying to squeeze in on Cecile's man. I don't know. I'm very confused by all of this, and I kind of want this to be over sooner rather than later. But being the, being that the, the fact is that they have 10,000 storylines that they need to wrap up, maybe this will bleed into next season. You guys remember that, you know, very popular seduction technique where you tell um, drop your it. desired partner to drop it in a monotone while staring at the windshield and not even looking at them? That's yes. that's clearly what Kramer is trying. Exactly. Yep. Kramer's got game. Um, uh, yeah, no, just uh, it's funny, like with uh, with Joe, when Joe resigned, I assumed it was going to be a very short term thing uh, and to be back as, as chief of police uh, because, you know, it's it's a very integral part of his character. You know, Joe is not just a cop, but he's a good cop. And I mean that in both senses of the term, you know, a good cop as in a smart cop, but a good cop as in a caring cop as well. But I start to wonder whether given all the problems with police uh, and the difficulties in presenting police as heroic characters these days, whether Jeff's right, maybe Joe is going to go off and, and be more of the, uh, the private eye type character, the, uh, the, uh, the black private dick who's a sex machine to all the chicks. West. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. A little slow on the uh, uptake there, but I I do appreciate it. I wasn't sure if you were waiting for me, but okay. So can I ask both of you, like, am I the only one that's conflicted about Kramer? Like, cause I don't know what they're trying to do with her. It's like, they're trying to make her sympathetic, but then she's being like a total bitch towards Joe. And so it's like, you got to pick a lane. Like, are you going to be sympathetic or are you going to be a bitch? Are you going to try to juggle both? I mean, Oliver Queen did it. Why can't she? (laughs) <laughs> Indigenous characters can do everything a mediocre white character can do, Jeff. It's twenty. Damn straight. Um, yes. And that's another reason why I would like Kramer to to be a good, solid character because, you know, and again, I've mentioned before that, you know, uh, here in Canada, indigenous representation is is kind of a, a big deal. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're doing a good job of not portraying her in any sort of stereotypical way, which I do like, but I, I don't want it to be tokenism. I would like them to. So, again, if 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 we find a way for her to, you know, redeem herself uh, and and stop being, you know, uh, quite so difficult with Joe, uh, then, hey, then she could be an interesting character to have around. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. Uh, but I do think, you know, there, there's got to be another big shoe to drop. And I wonder whether they're setting her up as, you know, more of an adversary, a foe, because I do think the idea of, you know, she died. Oh, God, I just had a terrible thought that I don't even want to say on the air. She's um, Godspeed's mother. No, no, that she is that, you know, she's, you know, no, I'm, I'm not even going to say it. I'll, I'll wait until we stop recording because it would be it. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I'm not even going to mention that before we go on to the MVP section. Oh, God, is there I'm anything else in the episode you wanted to mention? I'm incredibly Desperate intrigued. pitch for more listeners. Professor's trying to build the suspense. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, well, I didn't get a chance to really chime into the August heart thing. So before we do that, I, I just want to say, I am intrigued by the storyline. I feel like the actor is pretty good at playing sort of like Amnesia August because he's like a cinnamon roll. Like, 
I find myself like wanting him to be protected. Like I, I love him as the innocent. Like he's playing him perfectly. And like even the the stupid line of, you know, even if I'm a horrible person, like I need to know who I am. Like uh, how like innocent and nice can you be that he like sold that line for me. And then when he goes, like, we're into his brain, and he's all, her, 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 and they do the whole voice modification thing to make him, you know, the speed god. Like, I'm buying it. Um, it, it does go into what uh, uh, Dimitri said, though. It's like every South Asian actor that they bring on has to be evil. Although they did make Psych nice, so he was just ended up being kind of shady versus full-on evil. Um, eventually also eventually. are we gonna are we not gonna discuss the fact that jeff called a brown character a cinnamon roll are, are we really glossing over that well it's a, it's it is an internet thing a cinnamon roll can be anybody i'm just saying mm. yes mm. but um so so yeah so i like i like what they're doing with the character, I hope that it's not a talk no jitsu, but I kind of feel like it has to be a talk no jitsu because there was that specific line in the episode that Barry and Iris said to each other. Like, can you imagine if we sort of thwart this guy now, then they never have him as they being their kids. They never have him as a big villain in the future. Although I don't really know how much that makes sense because if he's coming from the future, then technically he's in the future. So, like, I don't know how much sense that makes, but based off of that it made sense to them, I'll believe them. And so I like that idea. So they, you know, like they've done in the past, they can change the future. That concept is interesting. Um... But I don't know how we're going to get there. Uh, part of me is like, just kill the man because he seems very evil when he's Godspeed. But then I think of him as, as August, you know, amnesia patient who seems very nice. And back in my drinking days, I had a few uh, forgetful Augusts myself. Okay. So it's time for the MVP section. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So choose wisely. Jeff. Who is your MVP and why? Yay. Um, I'm going to give it to Bart. Impulse. Jordan Fisher. I thought he did a really great job with the character. I was hella worried based off of that incredibly exuberant and campy promotional image that that I thought the impulse was going to be way too much. I was also very worried that because we got Nora and we we had Nora 1.0 and we had her personality that um, they were going to give her personality to impulse. Like I already kind of felt that uh, um, Nora 2.0 was not going to be similar to Nora 1.0. I felt like they were going to specifically, uh, the writers as well as Jessica Parker Kennedy were going to really work on making sure that she's a different character. But because they were going to do that, in the back of my mind, I was like, are they going to make Impulse basically excess? And they didn't. Uh, He's his own character. I found him incredibly refreshing. I thought his energy was really good. And uh, one little thing that I didn't mention that I'll throw in here, uh, the little look Jay Garrick gave when he realized that uh, apparently he's incredibly meaningful to Bart and to Nora. I thought that that was... That was cute. Yeah, that was beautifully played by uh, John Wesley Shipp. And... um, I wonder if if any of his experience with them in, in this two-parter, I wonder if like this is going to bring him closer to Barry and Iris. Uh, 
So I just wanted to put that out there as well. So my MVP, basically all that is to say, is uh, Bart. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's kind of a, a nod to the fact that, you know, this show is kind of the spiritual successor to his show, and this show mm-hmm. has lasted for 150 episodes. So John Wesley. Is it Wesley Ship or yes, Wesley? Is uh, you you are you are much loved. Um, I mean, you know the the storyline with the forces wasn't your fault, but um, but uh, yeah, in terms of you know bringing us this show and making it last this long and being you know very memorable, Jay Garrick slash um, Barry's dad. We appreciate you, sir. Much love for Jay Garrick. There a little shipping. From Dimitri. And uh, Dimitri, who is your MVP and why? I feel like... Wait, Jeff said Impulse, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, can we can we take a second to acknowledge the fact that they have an impulsive character and they named him Impulse? Like, well, they, they why never don't you actually Superman's him name to throw green rocks at me? Like, why would you advertise your biggest weakness? Anyway, um, so if Jeff chooses Impulse, I feel like I got to choose Nora. Those two <gasps> made a fantastic duo. And I know this is sort of breaking everybody's head because I have not been shy about shading Nora. But this was a very refreshing Nora. And props to Jessica Parker Kennedy because she had to play the same character but different. And I think she nailed it. I think this is believe this is very believably what Nora would who Nora would have developed into if she didn't have, you know, the trauma of losing her father, a strained relationship with her mother, if she has this sort of, you know, happy ending that we want for Barry and Iris, then this is who we'd expect her to grow up to be. But she's not so different that it's like, oh wow, you you know Guys made two completely different people. Props. Wow, people really can change. Um, I, I assume when I had Dimitri choose that Nora would still be on the table because who would ever have anticipated that happening? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give it to Cisco. Uh, again, he wasn't away that long, but still, he had a great return. Uh, you know, uh, it, uh, it it was just, you know, I, I, he hasn't been away yet, but I, I, God, I missed him. Uh, you know, such an important part of the uh, the show and to have him back for episode 150 uh, was, uh, was, was really, you know, important. And uh, to have him save the day one more time, and maybe it's the last time, uh, was great. And uh, I just uh, felt great about seeing, you know, an old friend dropping by, especially because, as I say, I had completely forgotten that Cisco was coming back. So it took me by surprise and was one of the highlights of the episode for me. So how would you rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 10 lightning bolts? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may archive the episode in the Flash Museum. Dimitri, let us start with you. How would you rate this episode? I'm going to give this one a 9. This was a genuinely good episode. After the, the Force Children saga... I had such low hopes, but the the siblings really bring a fresh energy. We're hearkening back to the early days of the series, what this series is really about, in my opinion. I'm genuinely excited to see how this wraps up. Like I said, I've got a bad feeling it might be a talk-no-jitsu wrap-up, 
but maybe they can keep the streak going. I, I'm here for it. As surprised as we might have been about uh, Dimitri choosing Nora as his MVP, who saw that coming? A nine out of the gate. Jeff, how would you rate the episode? I'm going to bump it up a, a little bit. I was about to say a tiny bit, but it's going to be more than a tiny bit. I'm going to bump it up a little bit. I'm going to give it a 9.75. Uh, not a 10, um, and not just a flat 9. A little bit higher than a 9, but not ready for a 10. Um, I think what brought it down for me was the Allegra stuff, just because it seemed a little too tacked on, and also the, the Kramer and Joe stuff. Uh, but everything else was really, really good. Uh, it was a very throwbackish vibe. Um, you know, it felt like an early season episode, a, a, a fantastic 150th episode, a lot of fun, very rewatchable, uh, maybe one little moment of CGI cringe, but a very fun episode. I was on the edge of my seat for a lot of it. I thought the acting was pretty good. Uh, clearly, based off of what her kids said, uh, Iris is pregnant with Nora. Um, oh yeah, un- Uncle Dion, or whatever they call him. Dion told us about what happens when you're... Uh, um, forget I said anything. So clearly she's pregnant. She's pregnant with Nora. Um, yes, so we got the answer to that. And it does add up as far as the math. Because uh, in, in a year, she would have had her. And then you add, you know, that plus 26. She, yeah, it makes sense. So, uh, yeah, 9.75 for me. Uh, I'm going to agree with Dimitri. I'm going to give it uh, a 9. Um, you know, very satisfying episode. But again, the uh, the Allegra stuff just dragged it down a little more for me than it did for Jeff. Um, I just thought that, you know, it, it was, you know, really humming along, but every time we had to revisit that, you know, it just sort of, you know, took things off the rails. And uh, while I agreed this, the same to a lesser extent with, uh, with Joe and Kramer, uh, at least it felt like, you know, by sort of tucking that in towards the end, it, it uh, you know, the, uh, the revisiting of that, uh, it, it wasn't as big uh, a jarring uh, thing I found as much, but having said that, you know, very enjoyable, and you know, I echo uh, Dimitri. You know, uh, that you know, when you think about, you know, a couple of months ago when we were mired in the Forces saga, uh, to think that we would recover to the point where we were actually watching and enjoying the show, uh, it seems quite amazing. So join us next time for a brand new installment of the Central City Citizen. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Central City Citizen and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting with Dimitri. Good night, Central City, and good luck wrapping the season up well. And Jeff. Good night, Central City, and uh, August Hearts Mind Escape. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of The Central City Citizen every Thursday by Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Poppy Chulo Radio Archives. Good night. Uh-huh.